Life Audio. Hundred thousand churches closed by 2025. I mean, really, that's crazy, right? Dr. Bill Senior here with Gospel App Ministries, Good Enough Parent, and the Gospel Rant Podcast. 40 million people have stopped going to church in the last 30 years. <laughs> really? In 2019, that's the year before COVID, more Protestant churches closed than open in the United States. The average congregational size is now less than half what it was in 2000. And by the way, one-third of the churchgoers are 65 and older. And so the summary... Far fewer churches, more closing, and even so, each one is still suffering decreasing attendance and is graying. So per Christianity Today, these church closures are going to snowball. Someone called it the great de-churching of America. Really? And this is happening at the very same time that so many Americans are feeling increasingly anxious and lonely and displaced. New survey shows that one in three said they feel lonely at least once a week. Worse, one in ten Americans say they feel lonely every day. But they're not turning to churches. That's so sad. I mean, again, what's up? We're going to get right back after a brief word from our sponsors. I'll be right back. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. So there's a lot of reasons for the decline, Um, but one of the biggest is just the typical church life cycle and drift that we haven't dealt with. On my podcast, The Gospel Rant, I'm going to start going through the book of Hebrews. It's in mid-March. Right now, I am in a well-received series on the power of the gospel to crack addiction. Uh, One of the major themes in Hebrews is this. Only after a decade or so from the founding of the Church of Rome, most likely, it started drifting. The original excitement, the sacrificial spirit, the other orientation, likely conversions and baptisms uh, started on the decline. Devastating persecution was coming at the hand of Nero, and they weren't ready. It's just not a good situation. Here's Hebrews 2.1. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. And the idea is that they were to, they were warned to go back to the OCDing, obsessing over the person of Jesus, his life, his words, the spirit of Jesus, right? And Jesus is the final word of God, what they heard. Or else the drift will soon lead them to the rocks. Think about a ship. 
You know, we don't speak about drift very much. I was on my denominational church revitalization task force, and I will tell you that this drift is everywhere. It's like gravity. No congregation is unaffected. It's not an evil thing. It's a very human thing. And if the drift isn't acknowledged and corrected soon by church members and church leaders, the prognostications are probably right. And by the way, even though we're going to look at institutional life cycle and drift, we could just as easily have done a podcast about individual spiritual drift as well. And I might do that. So here's what a spiritual or church life cycle looks like. Drift. And I want to credit my mentor and friend, Ken Pretty, for this illustration for churches and the church institution. It's the church life cycle. Um, Imagine a bell-shaped curve with three sections from left to right, birth and incline to the left, recline at the top of the bell-shaped curve, and decline to the right. It's all around us. Like I said, we have one, birth, middle age, decline. Uh, Food has another. I mean, look in your refrigerator. My family had lots of casseroles. Birth, it was fresh and hot and tasty. Recline, you know, it's been in the fridge for a while. Started looking a little little bad, a little edgy, so we covered it with cheese. That lasted for a little bit while. And then decline. I'm not even going to try to describe what that looks like. You've got that, right? So all institutions have the same life cycle from left to right. When I was a strategic management consultant in the mid-80s, we spoke to companies, Fortune 500 companies. We worked with about this life cycle curve, and churches have them too. All organizations have a life cycle curve. So, and one thing to point out is that the life cycle curve only goes in one direction, from birth and incline to recline to decline. You can't just wave your hand or, or pick up a new staff and move backwards. You have to intentionally relaunch. I'll say something about that. So it begins at the far lower left with birth for churches. And this is that magical time when some Christians gather together with the shared mission to reach the community with Jesus. And then comes the exciting incline phase of church growth. So think 6 o'clock to 10 o'clock. Inclining churches start off with a desire to do what Jesus did in their community. It's a time of great miracles, spiritual growth, anticipation, hope, uh, sacrifice, uh, inclusion, conversions, baptisms. Those churches prioritize telling their neighbors about Jesus, what Jesus said, what Jesus did, how Jesus did it, Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection, uh, his ascension into the heavens. In the book of Hebrews, terms to, to make the neighbors hear God's final and most perfect word, Jesus. Everything else is second tier, second priority. Churches on incline major on Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So the life cycle begins with Jesus, right? And then, then it shifts to programs, good programs, religious programs, educational programs, children programs. At recline, not a bad thing, but then to... You know, we've got this building, we've got this staff, we've, we've been doing these things for 10 years. So Jesus, Jesus, Jesus shifts to programs, which shifts to institution building, heritage, and staff. And it's not just evangelism, meaning message, as we really begin to experience Jesus' spirit in our inner being and incline, we actually begin to manifest his DNA and become other-oriented. That's the word righteous to think of others over yourself. And even though it's going to cost us, even though 
you know, we lose our preferences. It's a sacrificial relationship. We're willing to give up for others. God's love is other-directed. So inclining churches are typically other-oriented, more involved with their neighbors and the neighbors' lives, more into social justice issues, feeding the poor in their community, uh, healing, casting out demons, yeah, uh, pushing against inequality and injustice. It's all about Jesus and what he came to do and to accomplish, to raise up the beat up, the underachieving, the lonely, the uh, unlovable, the unloved people. Inclined churches are amazing. So the cycle goes from being sacrificially other in an incline to a little more, what about me, self-focused in recline and decline. Inclining churches also tend to listen to God. You know, God, what do you want us to do this week? Or this month, where do we go? Who do we talk to? We're willingly sacrificing our comfort, our cash, our preferences, our reputations. So it's lots of messiness and lots of mistakes, to be sure. And often it's a disaster, (laughs) but we do it again and again and again because we get used to listening to God. So when I first started a church plant in the mid-90s in Canada, we first went to meet with educators in our area, city planners, politicians, anyone who could give us a sense of the needs of the people there. And we, we didn't want to come in and try to, you know, force them into our mold. We wanted to incarnate into their skin. Well, what did we hear? We need help. Our families and marriages, our teenagers need help, uh, but we don't seem to know what to do, kids in particular. So, simple. We became the church that loved kids, whether you were from a religious family or not. We were the church that embraced children, uh, parents of children, single parents. By the way, we we embraced addicts, the divorced, those who had abortions and felt guilty, those who, uh, you know, believed nothing, but they were lonely. They found hope in our church, those who, whose religion had just left them dry. So talk about inclusive. We eventually had 10 mother tongues represented in the congregation. We had vacation Bible schools that included twice as many children as we had congregants. It was fantastic. Uh, we had a heroin-addicted daughter of the uh, chief of a local First Nations tribe come to one of our vacation Bible schools and brought her very troubled boy much to the dismay of her father, she felt really welcomed and and unjudged. Her boy just thrived. She had never heard about this Jesus. So our drive and focus was on our new friends, our new neighbors, and and hearing. we wanted them to hear about the real Jesus and their lives getting shaken up and renewed just like ours had been. Inclined churches have very few repeated programs necessary other than worship. So if you can organize something that people would come to that would serve our people, man, so we can get to know them, they can get to know us, we can tell them about Jesus, let's do it. We don't have to do it again next year. It's very task-oriented. What does God want us to do this year? Well, what happens when persecution comes along to inclining churches? It's a badge of courage. It's kind of expected, right? Jesus was persecuted, Paul was persecuted, Peter So it seems like we're doing things right. If we get persecuted, that was our mindset. We had a witch come and curse us, saying death to the children. And when we confronted her, she ran out the door. So what did we do? Well, we gathered all the children, we counted them up, and they were fine. So we said, oh my gosh, God is protecting us. And maybe the witch heard about the love of Jesus. You know, at the stage, incline, there's very little chatter about, hey, what about me? 
What about my family? I like this style of worship music. I have this preference. It's all about them. That's on the church on the incline. It's outward focused, visionary. It's obsessed with the living Jesus and his spirit. All about the unchurched. This is the incline stage. It's exciting and terrifying at the same time. It's messy, chaotic, it's creative. You know, I've seen incline churches in bars, movie theaters, uh, parks, warehouses. I've seen a rap church. The idea is you just lay all of your preferences down and, and your rights down for the sake of going out and making disciples of Jesus among the community. Missional leaders, man, they, they flock to that siren call. Ministry capacity is booming. And you're wildly creative. It's a lot of fun. Um, experience of the pleasure and the calling of God is off the chart. And so forget budgets. If you have an opportunity, pray to God and see if the money comes along. It's pretty risky, but lots of fun. I can tell you lots of stories. And you make lots of mistakes. I was invited after three years to come back to my seminary to the church planting class and give a lecture on the mistakes church planters make. I filled two and a half hour lecture. There was laughter. There was tears. Three people dropped out of the program. It was just a special evening. Evangelism is done, listen, by everybody in Incline. It's usually very personal. So not so much the careful constructed mantra, uh, you know, uh, four steps and so forth. It's intimate. Can I tell you about Jesus and what he did for me, where he found me, where I am now? So it's, you see what I'm saying? It's less theological. It's more testimonial. When Jesus found me, I was, but then he touched me, he embraced me, made me feel loved and respected. I can't totally explain it, but here it is. Do you want some of that? <laughs> and so people give to inclining churches because they see it as a great investment on high growth opportunity. The, the ROI, it's obvious. As the kingdom is growing and baptisms are happening, marriages are being saved. Well, now let's look at recline, about 10 o'clock on the curve. Uh, See, here's what happens, right? Everything's exciting, and then entropy occurs. Recline. Organization happens. It's not bad at all. It's not evil at all. It just just is. The subtle shift is from being all about them and inclined to, wait, what about us and our family? Uh, Reasonable, right? It's a shift from the chaotic, them-focused, to the organized, repeatable program, staffing for us, the core congregation. And there's also the beginning of a shift from conversion growth to transfer growth because stories are being told, excited Christians who are bored with their church start coming in and joining your church. Pretty important you get leadership. The idea is that people generally don't want the mess and constant change for long that is inclined as brain science. Christians, people have a tendency towards self. Augustine referred to it all sin, by the way, as in curvatus sin say, the self turned in upon itself, and no judgment, me too. So in recline, congregants begin to push for some of their preferences to be considered too. You know, what about our family? Should we have a youth group? What about worship and music? And so there's a subtle shift, again, not evil, and it's very human towards, the, towards inwards, toward the core group. No judgment. It makes sense to me. This is probably a good time to take a break for another word from our sponsors. When we get back, we'll get back into the recline stage of church life cycle. What impacts you every day? 
There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right, remember we're at, say, 10 to 2 on the curve, around the curve's peak, per Ken Pretty. Recline is the life cycle stage when the church's ministry capacity levels off. As the church does more and more of the same ministry every year, the same level of quality and quantity, you organize a staff, you set time for worship, a style of worship, how many times a month you do communion, how you do communion, you set up an office, a, a place to worship every week. You know, you agree on a budget, you vote on it, annual meetings, and you begin to guard the budgeted items. You're more of a little bit of a business, right? So you don't have the flexibility you used to have. You know, if God throws you some opportunity, you're going to ask the question more typically, well, is it in the budget? That becomes a guiding principle. Your focus is on satisfying more the needs and, and desires of those who have come, your congregants, less upon the needs of those who haven't come, the neighbors. Budgets maximize as the church grows. Programs and staff are well-funded. Annual meetings can be a lot of fun at the beginning of Recline, though it gets a little sketchy at the end of Recline. The vision statement of the church is well-established, and it refers to the Great Commission, but it's not evident in the community as much. Uh, look, it's a good church, I'm, I'm saying, right? It's, it can even be an enviable church, uh, a successful, comfortable church, Right? The professional pastors become busier and busier, and their weeks are repetitive, Sunday-to-Sunday cycle, or rut, some people call it. There's more time with members than those outside, regular order. It's a subtle shift from we're experiencing the height and width and length of the love of God all the time, and we want to tell people towards more of a functional view of Christianity, where we less experience and more of a knowledge of Jesus. Theology. Transfer growth begins to outpace conversion, right? The, less baptisms, more baptized people come. The church is less messy. The congregation more and more relies on the professional staff to do the witnessing, to do the evangelism. People have a testimony, but it's usually about something that happened in the past to them, uh, right? Instead of what God is doing to them this week. 
church discipline rises. The, the church actually is becoming more homogeneous. Um, and messy, broken people feel more and more marginalized and probably leave. Members are encouraged to give to be providers to the current programs. It's a shift, right? If you don't provide, we can't have a youth pastor. Annual meetings become more business and the message is suddenly immersed in guilt. Look, if you, you got to keep giving, right? Because budgets rule. Uh, what happens when a reclined church is persecuted? You know, it's, it's not the same batch of courage as it was an incline. It's a disruption that has to be managed. In management consulting, we used to call that minimizing contingencies, meaning no one likes surprises. And people will leave if there's too much disruption and too much persecution. So towards the end of reclining stage, there is a growth of internal dissatisfaction and bickering. I've never seen this not happen. Toxic silos pop up. Let me tell you what those are. Silos are small groups of people within your church who are just tight-knit. They share a common identity based upon a shared value or preference, maybe a shared enemy on staff, pastor likely, shared desire for certain practices or rules that they believe will fix their problems, at least in their narrow, toxic view of things. And they typically have a lightning rod individual, a champion, right, who implicitly demands loyalty to the, to the silo group. The loyalty is absolute and it's a priority. It's us versus anyone or leader in the church that is against us, all perception. Uh, so you're either with us or against us, right? So decline. Per pretty, decline is the life cycle stage when the church's ministry capacity decreases. Less and less ministry is done year after year with execution, more and more compromised, yielding both qualitative and quantitative reduction, loss. In decline, the me-focus shift happens even more dramatically. Now our people are thinking more about ourselves because the church is shrinking. There's more anxiety. There's more finger-pointing. Uh, we aren't looking at the present or the future. We're just remembering the past, and we're telling stories of how great it used to be, this or that pastor, this or that vacation Bible school, right? Knowing that we're not going to get back there to those glory days. And we're just stuck with expensive staff and structures and, and, and just have fewer people to fund it. And we wonder about what God thinks of us. I mean, is he disappointed? Have we done something? Is he punishing us? Creative missional leaders leave because they don't want any part of this. Annual meetings become guilt and shame fest. Fear, anxiety, like I said, increases. Now the goal is to cut back, uh, cut the budget so that you know, we can extend the runway before we have to turn off the lights. Is negative growth expected? A little talk about experiencing the love of Jesus anymore. We just haven't felt that or emphasized that for a long, long time. Persecution? Why would the powers that be persecute this church? Right? Well, here's the thing about the life cycle curves. It's driven by deeply rooted human nature, and it only goes one direction, to the right. This is the drift, I think, that Hebrews is talking about. It's conversion growth to transfer growth to negative growth. It's other orientation, them to us orientation. It's experience of the love of Jesus for the unlovable and undesirable, shifting to doing right things, according to our statement of theology and context. It's sacrificial, messy visionary shifted to 
design programs, and then to structure. It's all budget. It's spirit-filled, messy, chaotic, to organized and highly structured, tightly run. It's expectation that the gospel is powerful enough to reconcile anyone to God and to each other to, we just want to do good programs. Uh, It's expectation of persecution, right, to we're going to avoid persecution. Well, so how can the drift be changed? The book of Hebrews. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. That's Jesus. We must obsess, prioritize OCD over Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, lest we drift away from it. We relaunch somehow, and there's lots of ways to do that. We go back to incline phase. But the priority must shift again to the words, the person, the works of Jesus and his spirit. Look, theology doesn't save anyone. Programs don't save anyone. Neither does making a staff change or becoming a more friendly church. A lot of the churches that are closing are very friendly. We are missing the power of the gospel. We ask Jesus to say to us, Lazarus, come forth. (laughs) Right? We've been three days dead. And we repent of what our normal drift has caused in our organization and to the people and to our neighbors. And we relaunch. Again, uh, there's lots of ways to do that. Though many will object, we intentionally start doing the things we did at the beginning. We start by intentionally obsessing over Jesus again. Like I said, what he said, what he did, how he did it, who he said it to, who he didn't say it to. And let the Holy Spirit reignite, incline in us. Did you know, here's, here's, the big, here's the big thing I think is missing. Did you know Paul says that Christians just won't experience the love of Jesus for us and certainly not for our neighbors? And by the way, Jesus bought that for us 2,000 years ago, we, but we're not going to experience it until and unless we regularly ask God for his initiating power through his spirit and in our inner being. That's Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. Did you know that? Person by person, day by day. Programs don't have that power. Staffing buildings don't either. No other source of power can really make a dent in our, in our typical human self-focus or our anxiety or our loneliness that, that people are feeling in and out of the church. And if and when the Spirit immerses us in the other-oriented love of God, the love of God for the unlovable, the unloved, the unlovely, the despised, the rejected, the abused, the mistreated... Uh, Only then will hurting people around us, our neighbors, begin to come, all right, to Jesus as the healer and the acceptor. You know, when I speak to unbelievers in many communities, ex-evangelicals and church-damaged people, when I tell them about this love of God for the unlovable, the unloved, and the unlovely, they're shocked and tell me that that's just not Christianity, at least not the Christianity they know. Yeah, I think that's about right. We need to relaunch as the faulty, redeemed sinners we are, the unlovely, the unloved, the unlovable, those embraced by Jesus anyway. People may just be interested in that Jesus. So our institutional Christianity often looks more like the Pharisees that killed Jesus than Jesus. Do you know what I mean? So number one, repent of our drift. You admit it. Two, repent of the me focus of our church. The programming, the the things we do all the time in spite of the fact that our neighbors don't like it. Ask the Spirit to give us a heart of sacrifice for others, even if it's uncomfortable, and we lose our beloved preferences. Three, 
regroup around the person and work of Jesus and the Gospels, OCD over the real Jesus, reread the stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in particular, the Sermon on the Mount, dig deep and meditate over all this and ask his spirit to make us again see him, to hear him, to hear God's final word, Hebrews. Uh, His heart for others, his pursuit of the unlovely, the sinners, the outcasts, the rejects. Again, Sermon on the Mount. Ask the Spirit to give us his love for them. Four, leadership. Ask for ears to hear God today. And then prioritize whatever that is over your budget. Five, make the present experience of the love of Jesus for all who come the priority of worship. Right? Prayer, communion, songs, message. Pray that nobody leaves untouched by the love of God for the unlovable. We should be able to ask people who leave, did you experience the love of God today? Broken, messy sinners will come because at least in our churches, they begin to feel the love maybe for the first time in their lives. And they too become followers of Jesus. Miracles over and over. Isn't that exciting? And we can do this one church at a time. And so if I'm right about the book of Hebrews, it only took maybe 10 years For the new church in Rome to drift. And if that's the case, what are the chances that our churches, some who have been around for hundreds of years or decades, uh, have experienced this same drift? When we were invited to struggling churches uh, as part of the task force, we actually gave the the church some life cycle benchmarks so so that they could individually tally, uh, discern where their church was in the bell-shaped curve in their own opinion. The revitalization outsiders, we did the same. Would you be surprised to to see that most placed their struggling church at the end of recline, kind of just at the beginning of the downward trend, the idea is that, well, we can just back up. You know, almost always, almost always, we felt that they were much further into decline than they're willing to admit. But you remember the frog in the pan analogy was filled with water that was slowly heating up, but the frog didn't notice. It could have jumped, but didn't because the change was so incremental. That's church drift. But So, just for fun, consider where in the life cycle, based upon what I've told you, where your church might be. No judgment. Drift happens. Let me know. Bill at gospel-app.com. And if you want me to come talk to your church, your leaders, uh, drop me an email. Bill at gospel-app.com. I just want to tell you, I have a couple of books, kind of anti-drift books, that should be published pretty soon. The Unlikely Prince is... Uh, in the same genre of Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, 10 to 15-year-olds. We need to capture that generation. It's a great story, powerful gospel presentation just underneath the story. Um, C.S. Lewis supposedly said that if he had to do it all over again, he'd write more children books because adults read them. The Unlikely Prince is also for adults. The idea, not all quests are the same, and they all tend to drift. (laughs) And I have a Another series of books, Dance Daughters of the Most High, about overlooked and underappreciated women in the Old Testament. It's fun. It's encouraging for women in particular, informative, great for women's Bible studies, men's Bible studies, book clubs. These are the heroes of our faith that we should actually know much more about, and we don't. Send me a note, Bill, at gospel-app.com to find out more about either set of books. You can also follow me on Instagram, Gospel App, one word, YouTube, Dr. Bill Sinyard. Uh, Facebook, Gospel App Ministries. Uh, And by the way, YouTube, you can find a video of this very message and so much more. And subscribe when you're there. That helps me out more than you can imagine. Well, we'll see you next time. Take heart, child of God.